You're listening to the Irish Times. It is a beautiful morning on the Out of Time podcast with me, Malachi Clerken, and you, Pat Nugent. Pat, why is it a beautiful morning? I think we know exactly why you think it's a beautiful morning. <laughs> I, I want to read something to you. Go on. I want to read your own words back to you. Please, please, is, let me bathe. This is from let me the, bathe in my own genius. Here. From the front page of today's sports section of the Irish Times. Great paper. Yeah. Your intro. Mm. For anyone looking for straws in the wind, mm. it's probably not worth spending too much time on the fact that Dublin lost their opening game of 2019 to Monaghan. It's gorgeous, isn't it? That is the most blatant example of cute whorism. It's completely no. you said, oh no, nobody pay any attention to little old Monaghan here, who have beaten Dublin for the second year in a row in the league. Well, I mean, I mean, you may see it as no. such. You should be banned from being sent That's to the Monaghan outrage. games. That's an outrage. No, it's Look not. Look how many players Dublin were missing. You list off also the players that Monaghan are listed, or were missing, I noticed. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's very true. Very true. You were impressed though by Monaghan. Ah, yeah. In, to be fair, uh, I wasn't impressed after uh, sort of 20 minutes when they were what was it, one six to three points behind. Uh, now, I kind of, I did expect them to win uh, going into the game because Dublin were missing so many and, uh, you know, not to bring gambling into it, but they were three to one, which is was a mad price uh, at home against a team that they had beaten in the league last year and Dublin only back for two weeks. So I kind of did expect them to win. After 20 minutes, I was going, ugh, for the love of God. Um, because they weren't at it at all, and Dublin were like they really were, um, and were just so much more suited. To, they they actually like Dublin really looked suited to like something like the the offensive mark, because you know we in all that everybody you know has has given out about Dublin and their their endless hand passing against blanket defenses, you forget. They're magnificent footballers. Mm. And they were playing 40-yard kick passes into, like, Dean Rock's chest and into Paul Mannion and all that sort of stuff. And Conor Callaghan was all over the place. And they looked, they looked, it looked like business as usual. But the one thing that I have learned about uh, that Monaghan team is that they don't panic. They always know that they, they get it back to within sort of two points and then we'll see... If, if they can eke out a win after that. And it, they changed the game, 43rd minute, uh, Malachi O'Rourke put on, Conor McManus and Stephen O'Hanlon, who's a kid that, uh, like Monaghan people have been talking about for a while. He was called into the panel last year, but didn't didn't join up because he wanted to play basketball. Um, and What an introduction, his first touch. Yeah. His first touch, he caught a ball over Johnny Cooper, turned, headed for goal, soloed twice on his right foot and finished it with his left foot to the net. It was brilliant. Uh, almost as interesting as the fact that he caught it over uh, Johnny Cooper was the fact that he kind of caught it over Conor McManus as well. Like, mm. I don't think another Monaghan forward has gone for the same ball as Conor McManus in about 10 years. They usually get as far away from him as possible to give him space. But he just went, nope. This is because Colin Walsh was looking for McManus with the ball. Like it, it was a, like a 35 yard ball in. He was clearly aiming for, for McManus. And O'Hannon just kind of jumped up between him and Cooper, turned and went, didn't wait for a mark, didn't wait for a whistle, just turned and went and rounded the keeper and, and laid it in. Um, you mentioned the mark though. I, I felt watching it that um, Monaghan made great use of it. Great use, yeah. And it also looked like something that Dublin, maybe this is. Uh, evidence of them just being back from holidays. Mm. It looked like they had slightly forgotten that the mark existed on occasions. Well, put it this way. Uh, 
I, I know some teams have used like team holidays before for, you know, uh, as a little bit of a training holiday as well. Dublin were actually on a cruise this time. I don't think that's really conducive to practicing the, the offensive mark, no. being on a cruise ship. Uh, I, you know, I know some some teams like get a beach and kick a ball around, but I don't think you could they, they could really do it. And to be fair to them, and this is without poor mouthing at all, they are literally back training two weeks now. In other years, they've been back training two weeks, and have still won their opening game. Uh, this is the first time they lost their opening game since 2015 when they lost to Cork. Um, but they met a, a, a Monaghan team that are a really good established league team now and who have clearly done a bit of work on the, the offensive mark like they tried it a couple of times in the first half the two they, they had two sort of newish corner forwards Neil Bannigan and David Garland and like they were clearly like coming out to try and take marks and people were, were looking for them but they're kind of they're kind of small and it didn't really work and, and, and Johnny Cooper and Mick Fitzsimons were kind of all over them but in that second half when they turned it all around um, like like McManus has been playing the mark in international rules he's been the best international rules player for the last yeah. three series anyway uh, and so he loved it and what was interesting about it the use of it is that you know everybody has assumed that it's for your Kieran Donaghy type whereas actually it's not at all it's, it's for your Andy Moran type mm. it's for the, the corner forward whose movement gets him out in front because if if we know one thing about the hand pass for Argo, it's that uh, modern footballers modern football teams just do not want this contest for possession they don't want this idea of lamping the ball in 50-50 and putting it up for grabs they're just not conditioned that they're in fact conditioned the complete opposite way but if they think that uh, they can play a nice 40-yard kick pass in to a Conor McManus or a David Clifford or an Andy Moran who has gone one way, gone the other, bamboozled the defender. Shuttle running across the 13, essentially. Running and running out to get the ball, running towards the sideline. Now, before, they may not have kicked that ball because what's he going to do? He's going to be out against the sideline, have one man on him and then another man is going to come in and bottle him up. But now he comes out towards the sideline, catches the ball and has 15 seconds to kick at the post. Mm. And like anywhere inside the 45, Conor McManus is going to score what? 90% of his kicks at the post for freeze, yeah. you know? And so that it is a, it is a huge boon to, to a team like, like Monaghan. Uh, and it'll be a huge boon to... to it will help teams with, with very good inside forwards. Um, Jim Gavin was a bit frustrated afterwards, kind of going... Ugh. It's a bit silly now, you know. It's only in for six. We've only six more games playing these rules, and then we go back to championship, and they're all forgotten about. He was kind of going, if they're going to bring them in, bring them in. If you're not, you're not. He's got a point though. I mean, oh, yeah. it, it, what's the point in working on it to win the league and work, use it brilliantly, Precisely, and then it's yeah, suddenly it's and, gone? And, in and the I, I got the sense from him that he is not going to bother his arse really. Like they'll do a bit, but they're, they're essentially going to be getting ready for championship football people are going to remember whether they won the five in a row they're not going to give a damn whether they won the league or not but yes so I am a glow as, as, and there's no point hiding it we're all very happy for you so that's the league football dealt with uh, later on we will be talking to Mark Leibovich an American author about his fantastic book uh, Big, Big Game, Game. 
uh, ahead of next week's uh, Super Bowl. But first of all, we're going to talk some league hurling. And Ian O'Reardon is in with us. Yeah, you were at some league hurling over the weekend, Ian. You were down at uh, Cork and Kilkenny. Yeah, there is something about January hurling that's always hard to sort of warm to, pardon the pun there. But I think... Um, uh, you, I will not pardon the pun. <laughs> it was bleeding cold yeah, yesterday. It was, <laughs> Where I was anyway. I presume it was for you. Or? Trying to warm up from Nolan Park as well. But uh, no, actually conditions weren't bad. I mean, playing surface and all that was good. But there's no doubt that this this hurling league, I think more than any other year, is, is, is kind of being operating in a bit of a vacuum or a void um, for a couple of reasons. We all know, we all know that the, the league format is changing next year where they're basically going to re- redivide Divisions 1A and 1B on kind of an level par so, yeah. so the top six teams and the, sorry the top 12 teams will be kind of will be divided that way so there's no promotion relegation between between 1A, 1A and 1B which kind of removes that uh, I think you used the word last week jeopardy or risk exactly, yeah, yeah. there's nothing really to, to, there's nothing to fear but I think at the se- at the same time we last year they didn't really know how the round robin championship was going to work mm. in Leinster and Munster and then we they they found out pretty quickly that it's a, it's a, it's a serious it's a serious sort of a Competition, obviously, and I mean Tipperary and um, water for both missing out on the on the, la- the latter stages in Munster, Dublin as well. So I think there's a real sense that they need to keep the powder dry more than ever. For and that did you get that yesterday between yeah. Cork and Kilkenny? Hundred percent, yeah, hundred percent. I was, I mean, I went down to that game, kind of remembering like for the last two years, uh, Kilkenny had lost their first game. Um, they actually met in the first round last year, mm. Cork and Kilkenny. And it was down a, a Parky really toasty yeah. game down in Parky Keeve. Mm. Cork won by goal, um, and funny enough, afterwards we're chatting to Brian Cody and J- John Myler, both both managers. And the first thing Brian Cody says was he hoped hopes it's not a bad sign that he's won his first game. So <laughs> there's that kind of gently gently ironic feel to it all. Cody joking in January. <laughs> that, that's yeah, that, that's a sure sign. No, we're not taking this league seriously. <laughs> yeah, and, and then even look at the other two games. I mean, obviously Tip beating Clare, but good result there. I mean, Liam Sheedy's comeback game, and then Limerick. All Ireland champions against Wexford. They, they had a hard, hard, hard enough win over Wexford, uh, Limerick. So I think that was their, their two games. Were, they were certainly competitive, but again, there was no real sense of like, oh God, what's what's what happens here? There's a real kind of sense. Well, look, it's it's just kind of continuing that vacuum. But but I think the point as well is one of the one of the one of the words that seems to be thrown around a lot is, is attitude and how people are actually showing their 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 approach to the league. And from that point of view, Kilkenny were definitely impressive. Um, I mean. Brian Cody has essentially had, has a once again reinvented the entire team, more or less from more or less from maybe not one to fifteen, but um, new full back in Hugh Lawler. This Paddy, T- Paddy Deegan seems to be settling in as centre back. Um, James Maher was very good at midfield. Martin Keogh was supposed to start at number eleven. He didn't. He was he was pulled out injured, and this guy. Um, Billy Ryan really really showed up there. Um, Ger Elwards kind of shot back in form again. So it's it's very much a kind of a another reinvention of Brian Cody. He's missing the Ballyhale crew. Obviously, he's missing a few players like Killian Buckley, Porrick Walsh. Um, but there's a real sense of this Kilkenny team are dare I say showing that old attitude again. That that real that real they really want to win. And that, that, I think that came out yesterday much more so than Cork. And um, if that if that's if that's something to read into the result of yesterday, then I think that that's worthwhile. Kilkenny always like to have a strong spine to their team and so you mentioned there Hugh Lawler coming in the ideal and what everybody seems to want Brian Cody to do whether Brian Cody will actually want to do this is to release Porrick Walsh from fullback and to do that obviously they need the replacement so how did Hugh Lawler get yeah, on yesterday? Yeah, spelled H you W by the way, just in case anyone. Really Welsh sounding. Yeah. Welsh one, yeah. yeah, exactly. So, uh, but he, he is. Ask him about that. A, a Lachlan Gales. I think. I think you're right, and I think one of the things as well. The point was made that Kilkenny they needed. They needed to. They were conceding a lot of a lot of scores last year, which is very unlike Kilkenny. And even I know even Jackie Tyrrell was on about that a lot last year. Um, 
they held Cork to 17 points, which is pretty, you know, there was a, and there was one, they only had one real goal chance all day and that was brilliantly saved by Owen Murphy. So it was clear that they were kind of building from the back again, which is which is Kilkenny's old trademark, maybe more, more so than the last couple of years. Um, you're right, Paddy Deegan again, he used to play in the corner, so that they seem to be trying to get that uh, that full back line. Paul Murphy, now he's been there a while and he was brilliant yesterday and he was the one guy who said, look, more maybe kind of setting that example to the young lads saying, this, this is how you do it. And some, some of those classic sort of long long clearances up the field. So yeah, it was, it was very much kind of Old old style, new style Kilkenny. If that if that if that's not too much of a contradiction, Cork would just back, just before you get on to Cork, it does though come back to what this league means. Like, how much can you trust? Like, you're like absolutely, you're everybody assumes that right. Hugh Lawler is going to be there. They're going to give him the shirt. They're going to give him the league to prove himself. Mm-hmm. What if they find themselves then uh, in the middle of the summer going? All right, nobody was actually really trying in the league, uh, and here's our man now. What what do we do now? Do, is Porrick Walsh back in there by by the time an All Ireland quarter final comes around? I don't. I can't imagine something like that happening. For one thing that we definitely saw over the weekend, as you said, Kilkenny's attitude was bang on. So we know that Kilkenny are, are trying. Tipperary, likewise, their block hook tackle, which is always a good way yeah. of measuring Signifier, some when yeah. somebody's up for it. There it was like the highest it's been in I think eighteen months or something like that. You wouldn't, you wouldn't think they had a new manager that they were trying yeah, to impress by exactly. any chance, would you? <laughs> but but so so that plays into it, and also if the the hitting that went on in Wexford and Limerick was anything to judge, Limerick it's their first time back in the top flight for a while. They're definitely putting it in. So I, I don't think we're going to have like false battles so so much. You might get to the point later on in the league where if you win a game, you go into a quarter final, and you might see somebody not being overly committed, but. I don't think there's going to be what, what what's the word people people hiding aces uh, too much during this league. Mm. Yeah, it was actually John Myler said the the league really it's, it's kind of threefold. Uh, number one, you you want to be competitive, show a bit of attitude. Number two, you want to sort of blood new players. You want to sort of see can you find new players for the um, for the championship, obviously. And then and then thirdly, it was just about it was just about building that little bit of that little bit of a. a Consistency towards the towards the championship, which which really have to hit the ground running. So I agree. I think there, there is there, there will be a point where possibly in the last couple of rounds where there's a few playoff spots to play. I mean, Wexford's performance yesterday was possibly one of the most telling because they had Limerick on the ropes. It, they just couldn't mm. quite put them away. And um, I think Wexford more than any team will want to do well out of this league. And I think they they could be one to watch. But I think it's worth mentioning about Cork though. I think they were they're missing a lot of players. I know they had a lot of players in Fitzgibbon um, Cup action this year and. Um, they obviously have a few players out injured as well. But if you're looking for players to sort of who put their hands up, Cormac Murphy midfield was quite good. Declan Dalton, he's up from the under-21s. He was good at centre-forward. Well, I wanted to ask you about him, actually, because, uh, and, and not not totally because he was uh, one of my four hurlers to watch that I, that I put up in the Irish Times on Saturday. Uh, but uh, you've seen him, and we've, we've all seen him play very good for the underage teams is sort of the leader of the attack for the underage teams well I saw he scored one amazing sideline cut yesterday did he do much else? Uh, he, there was definitely a lot of ball came through him and he, he was trying he was trying they seemed to be for the first 10-15 minutes with a lot of ball going into Patrick Horgan Egan Walsh got a point earlier on as well but that but it was after that that Kilkenny really closed up shop mm-hmm. like they, weren't, they were getting very little there was very little space for, for Dalton to, to do what he, what he potentially He's a bigger can. lad than I gave him credit for. Yeah. He's, actually, he's actually fairly beefy. Yeah, he is. And, and um, he hit a beautiful silence. So there's no doubt he has the skill. He has the, you know, he's got the potential there. But it was, it was difficult. It was a difficult 
game for him to try and show his potential uh, given given the way Kilkenny were playing and given they were, they were really not, not giving such very little away um, in the defence. But I'm saying other than that though, I, I thought Cork looked a little bit, again, all the, all, the, all the words you'd expect to hear this time of the year, maybe a little bit flat, a little bit heavy, as if they are training, as if they are training hard. Exactly, but this is, this is, this is the worth, I think, of asking about, about these games. Wh- whatever about, like, I no, all I saw was the highlights on, on League Sunday last night and Patrick Horgan looked his usual very sharp self. But I'd be more looking at, okay, Declan Dalton coming up, getting his start again. I'm very interested in Aidan Walsh, back with the hurlers after I think nearly four ish years He's away, three, four, three, years, four yeah. years. Like, what did he look like now? Again, it looked to me like a player who uh, who who's, who's hungry for it. He's fit. He's, he's you know he's definitely got the uh, he's definitely got the uh, I suppose the, the physicality to lend something to that team. Mm. Um, and I think yeah, possibly possibly ran out of steam a bit in the end. Like he didn't. I mean, he sort of went to distance, but he didn't seem to didn't didn't do much in the second half at all. Certainly, certainly. Uh, an addition to the team, but whether or not he has that, whether or not he's the kind of player you know will, will you want for a championship? Um, I'm, not, I'm not sure what age he is now. I'm not trying to. I'm not, I'm not trying to write him off, but he's not. He's well, no. I mean, so he was young footballer of the year in 2010. So he's got he's got to be like 28, 29 ish. Yeah, no, I think any, as I say, there's definitely potential there, and like, that's exactly what John Myler said. He's, he's trying to he's trying to find a few new players. Given given what we've said, given the fact that the Munster Championship, it's you know it's what is it? Well, I think they've got an extra week this year, isn't it? So it's four games in in, in six weeks. Um, but uh, I don't know. I still think Cork, and he said it himself. He said they weren't nearly as competitive as he'd like them to have been. Um, I think they're playing they're playing Wexford next week, which would be which would be an interesting one because if Wexford bring the same attitude that they obviously showed against Limerick yesterday, you know Cork could be Cork could find themselves losing two games in a row, and that that, that certainly wouldn't be ideal for this time of the year. So if the hurling wasn't that much of a talking point, Pat, the actual nuts and bolts, there was plenty to talk about. There was sendings off. Yeah. Uh, two off in the Wexford-Limerick game uh, yesterday, but more sort of eye-catchingly, Tony Kelly sent off on Saturday night against Tip. Yeah, Tony Kelly was definitely a victim of the recent thing in Croke Park where the, where the referees committee were brought together and they were told in hurling to clamp down on high tackles. Specifically, as I understood it, the tackle that they want to clamp down on is this one where a player has ducked low for a ball and mm. is coming up with it and a guy coming in to tackle him, plants his feet in front of him and shoulders him essentially into the head or mm. face area and they're trying to clamp down on that tackle. Tony Kelly didn't do that exactly last night, but he raised a forearm into Park Maher's face and everybody was... It's one of those strange ones where everybody's saying, oh, this is ridiculous if this is a red card. But... Nobody seemed to question that it was a yellow card. Mm. And when you watch what he did and the speed he came in at and how he raised his arms, his forearm, into Park Maher's face mask. If it was done in football, you'd, there's a good yeah. chance you'd break the guy's nose because yeah. the guy wouldn't have a face guard to protect him. But he, the speed he came in at, I think it was definitely an orange card, shall we say. Yeah. And the, the recent edict to the referees to protect and to, to clamp down on head tackles or high tackles converted it into a red. The interesting thing was, that, I, I mean, I looked at it this is this is the modern world. Uh, I came to this after all the brouhaha. Do you mm. know what I mean? Like, so there was a bit of stuff online. There's a bit of stuff going around. Obviously, League Sunday. Uh, Anthony Daly was kind of poo-pooing the whole thing, and that was the first time that I saw it. And I, I and so you you become informed by by the outrage or the or the, or the commentary. And so I was going, yes, oh my God, like what. What a silly red card. And then I was talking to you this morning, you're going, well, did you actually watch it? So, 
it probably was a red card. Like, you probably can't go in with your fists yeah, that high into somebody's nose. Into somebody's face. The fact that they have a face guard should be immaterial. Yeah, and funny, like, people were having a go at Park Maher for going down quite theatrically, which he did. Um, but equally so, Tony Kelly went down quite theatrically as mm. well in that thing the players often do when they know that they're in the ballpark of doing something yeah, that's yeah, somewhere yeah. between a yellow and a red. Gotta make this look like and if it collision. makes it look like I got hurt or it was a collision that I'll get out of it. The interesting thing, though, to, to watch uh, as we go along is the this idea, and I know you, you said it to me yesterday and actually Daly said it himself last night, uh, that will not be a red card in the summer. So that's the interesting thing to watch. That's exactly it. I think the issue with the Tony Kelly red card isn't so much whether it was a red card or not. Mm. What What is an issue is if the next one is a red card. Because mm. if guys get sent off three weeks in a row for that tackle, or indeed the one I'm talking about more specifically, the shoulder into a guy's face was coming up out of picking up a ball. If there's red cards dished out for that regularly, they'll take it out of the game. Mm. And that will be good. It really bugs me. Um what's his name Davy Fitz did an interview after the match saying they're talking about changing rules I don't see the why they're ch- talking about changing rules we've had the best season ever mm. as if that's a reason to stop evolving nice. as if Davy Fitz would even think that himself which goes I'm back to your original point by the way Pat about what, what, what we might find out about this league that, that is one of the things that they're trying out you know whether referees mm. are going to you know crack down on the, 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 the rule you described there I think that has to be consistent as you say I mean that idea like that'll be gone by the summer is, is, is farcical you know you can't have <laughs> literally one rule for one competition another rule for the other so I think you know no, I say no harm. There's no harm in this. I mean, there was no there was no red cards at all in Kilkenny Court. There was a couple of yellows, but there wasn't anything that even came close to, to meriting one. But having watched the uh, the Liam Ryan was a Seamus Flanagan incident down in yeah. Wexford yesterday. I think I think in fairness they both deserve to go. I don't think you could you could argue with grabbing a face mask like that. But the point is that if that if that's if they lay down if they lay down that marker, it has to stay there. Like you can't suddenly just disregard disregard it come come the summer. Well, thank you very much, Ian. Thank you very much, Pat. And we will talk. Many more weeks of hurling for many more weeks to come. Cheers. So, Pat, the Super Bowl is on next uh, Sunday night. Uh, Monday morning, we'll be two very bleary-eyed uh, podcasters. Um, at Ahead of it, we are going to talk to Mark Leibovich of the New York Times magazine, uh, whose book, uh, Big Game, was my, one of the most enjoyable things I read all of last year. Featured in our Books of the Year podcast. <laughs> that voice one that was coming in there uh, is indeed Mark Leibovich. Uh, one of, uh, listen man, I read, yeah. I read an awful lot of books, a lot of sports no, books. That, that's good. No, I, I respect that. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, my pleasure. Good to be on with you guys. So, um, okay, so let's lay out for people uh, what Big Game is. I found it an enormously fun book to read, and it seemed to me you had a lot of fun writing it. Now, I know that's not how books work. So tell me (laughs) about what sort of book you set out to write and and where it took you. Uh, That's a great question. I mean, basically, my my day job is covering national politics for, for the New York Times magazine. So I deal with a lot of you know, a lot of the, the sort of big, larger-than-life characters and a lot of money and influence and power and just sort of this whole circus that, that politics, especially in the U.S. over the last few years, for, for better or worse, has become. And, and I needed a big break from that. And I've always had a passion for, for football and American football. And um, I decided that I would spend a couple of years trying to get as inside um, this great spectacle of American life, uh, the National Football League, uh, get, get as far inside as I possibly could and see if I could um, 
you know, write write some sort of rendering of what that world looks like in the 21st century at a time when the league seems to be um, just printing money and just soaring in popularity, but at the same time just very precarious and confronting all kinds of sort of cultural and and physical and sort of um, you know health related strains and and you know the future seems rather uncertain and yet uh, every week it seems in the fall there are these just record numbers of, of viewers tuning in and um, you know as we're taping this it's a few days after the the championship games leading up to the Super Bowl um, a few days ago and all anyone's talking about is them I mean particularly this terrible referees call uh, that went against the New Orleans Saints that um, you know I think people have been talking about for three days solid. So, anyway, I, I just wanted to see what I could what I could get and and have a good time doing it. And and you're right, writing books are never fun, but um, having written a book is very fun. So I can now at least say that I, I have written a book, and uh, it was kind of a fun uh, safari into that world. Did not being a sports writer free you up, like to say? Did did you have more freedom to say what you wanted, as you weren't worried about burning any bridges? Oh, very much so. Yeah, I I really liked writing this as an outsider, as someone who is not part of that club and and who doesn't you know care about being invited to um, you know all the big parties at the Super Bowl this year, um, which has not been a problem because I haven't been. <laughs> and um, yeah, I mean I'm not going to have to deal with these people anymore. And and I do think that that you do have a benefit. Um, of, of kind of clear eyes if you can sort of treat something almost like a foreign correspondent and kind of swoop in and and swoop out. And, you know, it's not like you burn bridges or, you know, you don't want to burn people, but um, I don't, you know, I don't have a lot of the, I don't have a lot of the sort of internal prejudices and I don't have to sort of cater to the club that, that some people who have to do this for a living might. And to me, uh, Mark, the the book for maybe two thirds of it deals with sort of three main characters. One is Tom Brady, mm-hmm. who you got a, a lot mm-hmm. of access to. One is Roger Goodell, mm-hmm. who you got quite a bit of access to. And one is the league yeah. itself, you know, the sort right. of ever present, unrelenting thing. Yeah. Uh, now, a fourth a fourth character comes in near the end, uh, who, yeah. who who becomes uh, president, and we'll get on to him in a right. second. But uh, those three those the, the, those three sort of main characters at the start of the book that they're the right. real sort of driving force of it yeah i mean again that was that like something i set out to do not necessarily but i think you know especially in a book like this you sort of have to write to where your right to where your strengths are and write to where frankly where your reporting leads you and and in a book like this i mean the access kind of governed a lot of the reporting um so uh, you know, I look, I got, for whatever reason, I got a chance to spend a fair amount of time with, with Tom Brady, with Roger Goodell, with um, some of the, the higher profile owners. And, and, you know, I know Trump a little bit just from my reporting, my political reporting days before I started taking on this book. So, um, yeah, I mean, that became a lot of the, the environment from which I was writing. So, um, yeah, I mean, again, though, the, I get what often happens in, in any kind of long-form piece, but especially a book, is you you let you, you just sort of have to use what you have. And when I sat down to actually write it after reporting this for a couple of years, that's what I had. And, um, you know, luckily these are very high-profile and very, you know, important and very relevant and very colorful characters in many ways. If it was only about Brady, uh, I think mm-hmm. it would still have been a, a fascinating book because whatever about the access you got to him, and I mean, you visited mm-hmm. him at, at his home <clears throat> that he bought in Boston, um, right. uh his like even his family, like his his father 
comes across. I as loved his dad. A great guy. Yeah. I'd love to hang yeah. out with Tommy Brady Sr. He, Tom Tom Brady Sr. Is, is like the one true friend I think I would say I made in this, this whole journey. But yeah, no, I mean, Tom's dad, I mean, we still text to this day. And, you know, we were texting after uh, the championship game the other day. And he's a lovely man. But no, you're, you're right. I mean, I think originally there was talk, and I strongly considered um, at the beginning making this sort of a uh, ongoing biography of, of Tom Brady, and I kind of realized pretty soon that uh, the whole league itself was, was even more interesting, and, and obviously I, I think people are so sick of Tom Brady just being at the center of everything and the New England Patriots. Frankly. We should say, we should, uh, we should make you declare your allegiance here, of course. I, I, my allegiance is to them, so, but I also try to be um, open to, to the opposing view about them, which is the opposing view, which belongs to maybe 85 to 90% of the country, which is that everyone's sick of them because they're always there and they're not the most... Um, you know, they're not the most flamboyant or interesting team, um, except that they sort of win and they're there at the end. So, mm. but no, I mean, like I was, um, that was a part of the book where I could sort of indulge my fan boy uh, instincts a little bit. And um, I do think it sort of worked out that he didn't have to carry the whole book. Um, but, you know, he was a, a recurring and, and certainly major character throughout it. The club owners, Mark, in the book, they're generally speaking elderly white males. And yes. they are heads of these billion-dollar franchises, but they yes. come across as inept through an author of the book. <laughs> did did that surprise you? you? Think? Um, not really from the outside. I mean, look, I I don't understand. I mean, you know, it's part of this is is the culture we live in. So there there is this great reverence that we afford people of great wealth for whatever reason. Um, but I mean, at least from the outside, I mean, many of the NFL owners strike you as very very kind of happy accidents uh, in their in their wealth. I mean, either they inherited it or they kind of lucked into their teams or they married it or, or it's been in their families for decades. Um, so it, it's not as if, you know, if you're the CEO of like Apple or Amazon or, or you know, uh, Federal Express or something like that, and you're looking for an all-star corporate board to put together, you're going you're gonna to take a lot of NFL owners and put them on your board. I mean, these are very smaller-than-life characters, and, and um, yeah, I mean, I think they are inept, and I think the commissioner that they hire is pretty inept also, and yet the game seems to survive despite itself or in spite of the people who run it. So I, I definitely came away with a greater appreciation for, for how great the game is and how thoroughly fascinating it is. And yet, how um, you know how utterly inept the people who own and, and run it are. Uh, in a way, Mark, I, you kind of lucked out um, yeah. with Colin Kaepernick and Trump yeah. for the for the last sort of third of the book. I love you. you have a brilliant line about when um, when Trump tried to buy the Buffalo Bills in two thousand and four. Yeah. Uh, he wasn't considered sufficiently solvent, and you had a line saying that <laughs> turns out football owners get a much closer look at the candidates' finances <laughs> than the electorate. They, um, they or they care more. Or they for indeed, yeah. yeah, like Trump kind of drives the last third of the book all. That all the stuff around Kaepernick and all of that. Just, yeah. just how big a problem did he become for the NFL? Oh, he was a huge problem. I mean, he's a huge problem in that, uh, you know, he has a minority of support in this country, but that support, say, anywhere from 30 to 40 percent of the population, uh, they revere him and they listen to him, and he has a lot of power to drive his base, which is, you know, which is, you know, largely white, aging male, um, 
populations that make up a lot of the modern Republican Party and, frankly, a lot of football fans. So, you know, a guy like Colin Kaepernick comes along, and he's a mixed-race um, kind of, you know, he's, he's an agitator. He knelt during the national anthem to protest um, violence against African Americans, and he he was, um, you know, he was a perfect sort of culture war um, sort of wedge that, that Donald Trump sort of seized on during his campaign, and he made him like this bad guy that a lot of his supporters could easily identify as being, you know, the, the things that are making America not great. So, um, yeah, the problem with the NFL is they need everybody. I mean, they don't, they're not Donald Trump. They don't need just 40% of the population. They need everybody. They need women. They need young people. They need... Um, you know, Hispanics and African Americans and Asians and, you know, a lot of the populations that are very, very hostile to President Trump. So it became a very divisive issue. And and Trump, I think, sort of uh, absolutely loved the power he wielded over this club that wouldn't have him as a member. It felt like all the, the divisive nature of the NFL was peaking around the start of the season. But it feels yeah. like it's gone down as the season's gone on. Is that the mood in America at the moment or...? I think so. I mean, I think largely that has to do with the fact that the Trump sort of has moved on to something else. Um, I mean, there was there was a lot of preoccupation in the political class first with the um, with with the midterm elections, which did not go well for for Republicans. I mean, they lost forty seats in the House of Representatives, and now you know the government's been partially shut down for for over a month. And look, I mean, Donald Trump has. I guess he's. I don't know if he actually makes these. <laughs> methodical decisions about these things, but he has other things to worry about, and he sort of has moved on. And I think the the league has been relieved and and thrilled that he hasn't you know really given them the time of day. And and look, it's been a good year for the league in that a lot of people have been watching it. There are a lot of young stars. There have been a lot of really compelling games. And I mean, just this last um, you know again, they're in the the conference finals. They both went into overtime. So. Um, they've sort of lucked into a lot of that, but I think you know it ebbs and flows. But I think if, with the league, usually it, it does. Uh, you know, the American sort of mindset does seem to want to revert to watching football if there's a good game on, and there've been a lot of good games on. So tell us, Mark, how how does a Pats fan get ready for a Super Bowl now? Do like do, do you even watch these anymore? You know, is it just you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we get it. Yeah, I watch it. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> how do we even get? It? Yeah, it's just so boring after a while, right? No, I, look at the Super Bowl. I mean, I um. I mean, I prefer a good playoff game to the Super Bowl, per- frankly. But, I mean, mm. like the Super Bowl, is it's as close as I think we have in America to a unifying holiday. For as divisive as the NFL brand has become, um, I mean, there's going to be 150 million people watching it across the country, probably, and uh, a lot of others around the world. And, and, I mean, I think unlike, say, soccer or even the NBA or you know, basketball in general, I mean, this is not a global sport. I mean, this is still... Very much an American game. I mean, yes, there's interest in the United Kingdom and some interest in Mexico and maybe some interest in, in you know, maybe China or something. But it's just really, it's a game whose, whose sort of gravitational pull will always be right here. And, um, you know, for whatever reason, it, it still seems very much in keeping with the American imagination, uh, you know, vis-a-vis tribalism and sort of planning and strategic action and violence and whatever it is that makes America American in 20, you know, 2019 uh, seems to be captured within whatever it is about the NFL that makes it as successful as it ever been. it's ever been, uh, which is not to say there are not major, major problems in both of those entities. But, um, yeah, here we are. I mean, the, the, 
the government might be partially shut down and half the country might be dead set against the other half of the country and yet i think you know a good portion of us are going to be watching football um, you know, on, on February 3rd, February 4th, whatever the date is. And mm. most of them will be rooting against my Patriots. So <laughs> hopefully we'll win. So. Well, hey, look, Mark, listen, uh, I, we'll all be watching it, but I, I really do implore uh, people here to, to get on uh, online and get uh, this book because we, there's so much of it that we didn't cover here. We, for instance, didn't yeah. cover the time that you got liquored up with Jerry Jones and he told you about oh. masturbating into shoes when he was a shoe yeah, salesman. So, yes, he did. That was not not one of my finer moments, or certainly his. Although he seemed rather proud of it. So well, yeah, you can indeed. read all about that. And much and, and much like you, you, you sum up uh, the NFL by saying this is America. Maybe that is America too. So maybe we'll, uh, we'll leave it <laughs> maybe at that. that is too. Exactly. Yeah, but he's a much better drinker than I am. But anyway, yeah. No, big game. Uh, I hope everyone will read big game, and and um, like hopefully I'll get there one day, and and we can talk football in person. Awesome, American Listen, football. Indeed, Mark. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on, guys. And that's all this Monday morning. Uh, Keen listeners will notice that there was no rugby uh, on the show, but uh, given that it is the week of the Six Nations, we've decided to do an extra bonus podcast for all you lovely people. And Jerry Thornley and Gavin Comiskey will be here for our Six Nations preview podcast, and it'll go out tomorrow. So until then, we'll see you all. Bye.